Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. You like this? A little black. Oh, man. Black Star is one of my favorite albums. When they were featured on, what was the last album? It was West Side Gun, right? That put them on a feature. Is that right? Yes. Which seems like a very odd pairing, but it worked. One of my favorite songs on that new album. Well, I guess you could say a little bit of an odd pairing, but I could say because they walked the line as far as they are. Oh, they pushed the envelope on beats like crazy. They're skilled enough that... Guys like West Side Gun and them would respect them and the way that they deliver their message. But Black Star, that's one of the two tragedies in rap that we never got another Black Star album. The problem is anytime you get one and it is in this hierarchy, in a spot where there's not too many Hard albums. To duplicate. Are we really that sad that they didn't come out with another one? Or are we actually Well, their solo projects, you know, was so good because Kwali came with the, the one he did with high tech, the high technology. That was so good. And the one he came out with after that, I think it was called Quality or something. I forgot. Most Def's album, The Black on Both Sides, was great. Oh, well, I mean, Most Def. That's what I'm saying. So it's like I have no... Most of the time, conscious rappers are pretty bankable as far as making good projects. They don't really miss that often. Right. But the thing with Black Star, I'm going to go with I'm glad they just gave us. Well, they just gave us an they gave us a new one, right? Well, they did a performance on Chappelle. I mean, not oh, Chappelle no, Saturday on Saturday Night, Night Live, Live, but That's I'm right. not sure. Well, what's <clears> great. <throat> so I was watching that episode and then I was looking in the background. I was like, wait, that's Mad Lib. Is that Mad Lib back there? And sure enough, they finally focused in on him. And then I think most Def gave him a shout. And Mad Lib, if, if you know anything about Mad Lib, man recluse dude does not make appearances and then i think he made an appearance on the breakfast club one time when freddie gibbs and he produced that album mm -hmm. so they were talking and madlib was on there and dude just doesn't talk he's gonna give you about three word answers but he's been coming out a little bit more the last few years because people have been going to him nonstop. yeah i forget about that that um i i think i heard freddie gibbs talking about the fact that he was like that that he doesn't come out often well it's hilarious that madlib they were asking him i think it was the breakfast club i forget what show it was but they were asking him so yeah why did you decide to work so often with freddie gibbs and he said you know only giving three word answers right this is just how madlib talks he said i like the way he raps <laughs> it's like wait okay what, what draws you to him you know i mean he's he's a good rapper he's really good yeah <laughs> it's like okay that's the genius that is mad lib producing at a crazy level where if you wanted to put him top five i wouldn't argue he's probably my favorite producer of all time but wow yeah i think he's my favorite man the thing is about mad lib we won't focus too much on it i imagine oh. we've lost some people but when you go to his catalog what Madlib can do is he will switch the beat mid-song, and mm -hmm. both are fire. Yeah. It's absolutely insane that he'll come in with an amazing beat, switch it up in the middle, and then give you... It's why Bandana by Freddie Gibbs, one of my 
my most favorite produced albums of all time. So many split beats in yeah. that album, and both of them for each song are absolutely amazing. Yeah, that's why would, it's my favorite. Would you say Hit Boy maybe took that style from him? I mean, Matt. Well, Matt lived. You know, he's the disciple of Dilla, so you know it always goes bad. But Dilla, was he really switching it up? I mean, he did a nah, little bit. Well, he did a little bit. Like drop by the far side, something. Like he did a little bit. Yeah, Timberland and Timberland and Pharrell are. It's a toss up between those two. Is my favorite. As far as your favorite goes, Pharrell yeah, will put something crazy out there. Timberland too poppy for me. He's still a beast, right? Really? I, I, he, he gets poppy, but he's well. He's, he doesn't. I love his pop yeah, stuff. And I got you. No, he's amazing. Yeah. I'm not trying to get it twisted. I'm yeah. just saying, you know, real poppy. But when we talk about like my favorites, Pharrell. Yeah. Pharrell's good because he he'll put some crazy stuff. He'll get yeah. a little poppy as well. Yeah. 704-570-9610. If you want to text us who your favorite producers are of all time, <laughs> we would love to continue to yeah, talk about that. Perhaps not the rest of the listeners, though, and so we will transition back to the Carolina Panthers. I kind of jumped this topic, and then mm-hmm. we went into a little bit more about Steve Wilkes and the chances he could grab on to this head coaching job. Yes. We didn't really talk about the fact that they are third in the standings, the fact that Tampa Bay they lose in overtime to the Cleveland Browns. So Carolina, they're actually within striking distance to potentially win this division. I don't mm-hmm. think they will. I think Tampa Bay finds a way to hold on. I think the Buccaneers end up going to the playoffs. There's not going to be another NFC South representative in the playoffs no. in the wild card. That is just not happening. you got to win this thing to get in because the records aren't going to be good enough. Percent chance, possibility, is there any way you think Carolina actually goes into the final two weeks of the season competing with Tampa for an NFC South division title? Because if you look at the last two games for the Carolina Panthers schedule, it's against, yep, division rivals, Tampa on the road. That's happening on New Year's Day. And then it's New Orleans happening January 8th. Those are the last two games of the season. Going to get real dicey if Carolina finds a way to maybe beat Detroit. Maybe they beat Pittsburgh. Look, it's not because Carolina's good. People are going to write in in the Garage Door Guru text line, oh, Walker's gas and everybody up for a Panthers playoff appearance. I am not doing that. But it is stupid to me to pay attention to the best team in this division, quote unquote. Look at Tampa, who is not good. And then say Carolina's not going to be in the hunt graphic when you're watching Sunday Night Football down the line. Yeah, no doubt. And I think when you look at the Panthers' schedule, I think a key will be this week. If they somehow beat Seattle on the road and, you know, the Buccaneers have the Saints, if they should somehow falter because we know what problems Brady has when he plays the Saints, and then they got my Niners coming up. So... There's an opportunity, in my opinion, for one or two games for them to cut it to a game, possibly. Um, and then from there, you know, we could see, does this team deserve to be the, in the playoffs? But well, no, none of these teams right. in the division. But, but their division gives them a fighting chance. So, yeah, I think they have a fighting chance if they're able to. I mean, the key is if you lose to Seattle, I think you need to get both the Pittsburgh and Detroit games to put you in the mix. But if you lose two out of the next three, I think it's a wrap. One thing I've wanted to see from Carolina, just from a general perspective, I've wanted to see Carolina finish a second half strong. That has not happened. That didn't happen the last couple of years in the Ron Rivera era. That did not happen with Matt Rule at all. They would get off to a pretty good start or a decent start, three and two with the first year for Matt Rule, three and oh, three and one this past year with Matt Rule. And then this year was not a good start. I've wanted Carolina to get better at the season's end. I think that shows some type of growth. If you think back, 
It's part of the reason why Matt Rule isn't here anymore. Mm-hmm. Is that none of those teams got better. In fact, they actually got worse. And the, the fact that Steve Wilkes is coaching a team, getting better each and every game, where, yeah, you're still going to have some duds, but the last three, the defense has been lights out. Been very good, depending what, who cares? Bad offense, good offense. Yes, Jacksonville just beat Baltimore. Kudos to them. But they also have somebody that just might make it at QB and Trevor Lawrence, who was dealing yesterday in that game. Fourth down throws, beautiful from Trevor Lawrence against the Baltimore Ravens. But the offense still got going a little bit with Baltimore. Carolina held them to less points. The defense has been very good. Can they get better despite having a poor QB? That's the question. And right now they're kind of proving that they can, especially with the strength of schedule that is not that daunting. Every single one of these contests I look at and say, oh, well, Carolina could win. Yeah. Oh, this season's going to be crazy, Wes, as we continue to go on. Yeah, and I mean, you know, there's no other way to describe it. But I think for fans, I think that's going to be fun as well just to see what could happen. I mean, how much belief you have? A lot of people always say just getting the show. Now, do I think the Panthers will get in there and make any noise? No, I do not. But I think it would be a fun way uh, for those fans, especially the ones that don't want them to tank for the draft. You know, it'll be an interesting roller coaster ride for them going forward to wake up and know that your team still has a chance. I mean, that's always fun as a fan to know that you have an opportunity. Um, but other than that, you know, th- this division has just been that bad all season long. It's been brutal. Um, yeah, an 815 number wrote in. This team has my head so screwed up. I don't know which way the games will go. I think that's correct right now yeah. when you're assessing this team. 980 number wrote in. If they beat Pittsburgh and Detroit, they beat Tampa one time, you know, they can beat them again. So here you are with the kind of a positive overview on Carolina. You go to some other ones. You know, Twitter Chris wrote in. If Carolina gets six weeks of Sam playing the way he did yesterday and decent production from the run game and defense, they'll finish by winning the division. He thinks there is some type of way that they can end up winning the NFC South. I, I mean, the, the second half, that's that's my goal right now because I just want to get better as the second half goes on. In reality, if there's a way for them to win the division, then that'd be great to have a playoff appearance. You know, Carolina getting bounced in the first round if they get destroyed by one of these teams that actually truly deserve to get to the postseason and then you just hurt your draft position to get one of those quarterbacks. Yeah, that would suck at the end of it, but it would be pretty nice for this fan base to at least get a playoff appearance. It is something that you should strive for in just the overarching way that sports operate. You mm-hmm. should be you should be going for a playoff spot. It's just you can understand the other side saying, wait, man, I do want the best quarterback available as much as possible. And so if we win more games, the harder that becomes. I will ask you this too, just real quickly. When we take a look at the QB prospects available this year, what did you make of C.J. Stroud's performance against Michigan as Michigan ends up embarrassing Ohio State in the second half? Yes. Close game, but whew, mm-hmm. spanking in the second half. Michigan put on Ohio State as that game went on. I mean, C.J. Stroud, I read a lot of stuff online. People weren't Ryan Day gone now. People <laughs> are doubting C.J. Stroud at this point. So it's all come crashing down um, in Columbus. As far as what I made of his performance, it was very much up and down. But he still had an excellent stat line. But especially once Michigan took control of that football game, they started putting pressure on Stroud. Uh, You know, he didn't look quite the same. The two interceptions, something you don't see from him uh, that often when you're talking about a kid 
uh, you know, this season that only has six and, you know, coming into the game had four. But I thought Michigan just punked Ohio State. And they've done it the last two years, and I didn't think they were going to be able to do it again. But they proved Ohio State to be, you know, a soft football team when they ran the ball all over them like they have the last two years. Yeah, I mean, I didn't expect it to happen either when we were predicting these games. Fitty did get it right. He did say Michigan was going to win. he did. And so, Fitty, how so, I guess you weren't so surprised to see Michigan get this victory. Were you surprised at just the margin of victory that happened between these two teams? Yeah, I don't think anyone saw Michigan blowing out Ohio State, and that's what that second half was. Ohio State wasn't competitive, and a big reason why – well, C.J. Stroud got taken, you know, out of rhythm, and once he got out of rhythm, he had nothing. And I think that's why, whenever I look at this quarterback draft, that's why I'm hell bent on Bryce Young being taken number one, is because even if he's getting, you know, out of rhythm, out of sequence, he can make throws. C.J. Stroud can't. Will Levis can't make any throw down the football field, and outside of that, like, there's really no bona fide stars. In, in this quarterback class. But, yeah, I was really blown away by the way Michigan beat Ohio State. And I think it's a little bit of proof, especially in the college game, and Wes was talking about this earlier, that that ground and pound game is starting to make its return because their physicality was a difference in, in, in the horseshoe on Saturday afternoon. And big shout-out to J.J. McCarthy as well. He played the game of his life. Yep. And there's certain plays – that you see in a football game where you know one team wants it just that much more. And when McCarthy ran in on that quarterback uh, run and went in in three defenders and got lit up but got in, I said, oh, yeah, he wants it more today. J.J. McCarthy was tremendous. And that was one of the reasons I thought they'd lose the game. I thought Ohio State had a decisive advantage at quarterback. I thought that the weather wasn't going to be there to assist them like it did last year as far as giving them an edge being a running team. But J.J. McCarthy came out and put them – uh, on his back, and the running game carried them home, and that defense uh, is the real deal. The quarterback prospect, the, the 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 class that's coming into this NFL draft, it's kind of flipped on its head a little bit. It, it has been. Maybe to say 180-degree turn is too strong, but you're certainly not feeling nearly as good as you were at no. the beginning of this season. Even Bryce Young, we talked about the Austin P game where he wasn't playing all that well, and it's Austin P, right? I mean, we've seen Alabama lose a couple times where – uh, maybe a redeeming quality about him is the fact that he was able to make some plays late to give Alabama a shot against Tennessee, where Hendon Hooker was the person responding with two huge throws to set up the ugliest, yet a game-winning field goal. You also had Bryce Young against LSU going in overtime, you know, I mean, against the Tigers, but the Tigers ended up being victorious. C.J. Stroud, just you know, maybe a little underwhelming from what we expected. And it's still a Heisman, at least New York City campaign, Mm -hmm. not going to win it. I think Caleb Williams is destined to win that award right now. But still, C.J. Stroud, I expect to get to New York City. Hendon Hooker, after he had gained so much ground, tears his ACL. I I mean, man, the the class. Corum. Yeah, Corum's done. It's tough. Well, I mean, Blake Corum, you know, different, but right. Like, just weird to see really a lot of the top draft prospects come in right now. And and with a little fizzle, the guys you're excited about with Drake May and Caleb Williams, they're not eligible. And you, you know, know what? I actually year. read they said that the pro scouts are still very high on Will Levis. They said the fact that he took a beating this year at Kentucky and kept coming this year, they said that they're scouts that think he's the best quarterback in this draft. Well, I know that is the promo for Mac and oh. Bone right now, right? That David Tepper is is enthralled with Will Levis, apparently. Oh, my God. Yeah, get ready, buddy. We got the Wesson Walker Show bringing you all the Will Levis coverage, 12 to 3. Was that Dave Tepper telling on himself that he also likes mayo in his coffee? Because what Mm. if Will Levis' play would make you believe that guy is going to be – and look, I know Josh Allen had some really ungaudy stats – 
But you could see him translating to the NFL. I don't see nothing about Will Levis that translates to being a difference maker at the quarterback position in the NFL. He's going to catch hell in that locker room if anybody sees him put mayo in his coffee. And you're like, what in the world is going on with Will Levis doing that? That's something I can't, I mean, Pat Mahomes, ketchup and mac and cheese, it's pretty gross, but okay, I guess. Mayo in your coffee, I've just never heard of that before in my entire lifetime. Let's talk about some stories that maybe are a little bit more pertinent to college football with Heather Dennich coming up next. We can ask her if she puts mayo in her coffee, too, if we, we want can, to. Yeah. I don't know if she'll say yes. I certainly hope not. But we can also ask her about some of the college football playoff scenarios that will take place. Heather Dennich of ESPN joining us on the Wes and Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Lots of Carolina Panther conversation. You can see it as we tweet out some of the podcast material on our Twitter handle, Wesson Walker. WFNZ.com is where you can check out the website. But we'll also talk about the college football playoff rankings that will be taking place this week. What happened after the chaos that ensued this weekend with all the college football programs? Who better to talk about all of that with than Heather Denich of ESPN and ESPN.com, who joins us right now. You can find her on Twitter at CFB Heather. Heather, thank you so much for the time. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, Heather. Great weekend of college football with some crazy games, maybe some surprising results. I just want to hear, let's start off with the prediction, right? After the chaos that ensued, what's the top four that you would come out with right now? And what do you think the committee will ultimately go with? I'll go deeper than four. I think it's Georgia one, Michigan two, TCU three, USC for Ohio State five, Alabama six. Um, and the interesting thing there is that Alabama is going to be ranked ahead of LSU and Tennessee, both teams that the Crimson Tide lost to. LSU now has three losses, but Tennessee fans are mad at me for saying this because Alabama has two losses. Tennessee has two losses. They're sitting there with identical records. Tennessee has the head-to-head, and yet I would expect the Vols to be behind Alabama for the second time in the selection committee's rankings. Well, Heather, what do you think was the most consequential result of the weekend we just saw? Uh, You know, I, I think it was the way Michigan beat Ohio State in the second half. Um, but, you know, everything that played out is kind of sitting exactly where I would thought it would be, which is the loser of that Ohio State-Michigan game hanging by a thread, needing some help, but not quite out of it yet. I mean, this could be very easy for the selection committee if Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and USC all win their respective conference championship games I think there's your top four. But if TCU loses to K-State and or USC loses to Utah, and remember, both of those teams, TCU and USC, are playing teams they faced in the regular season. TCU has to beat K-State twice. They beat them in the regular season. USC's only loss is to Utah. Very interesting rematch there. But if those two teams lose... Then you're talking about Ohio State and Tulos, Alabama in the conversation in that committee meeting room to fill those holes, along with the losers of those games. Heather, how you doing? Wes Bryan here. So glad to have you on. 
uh, first thing I was going to say, you are biggest guest uh, as far as we feel like that we see all the time on TV. I was going to oh, say, can we, can, can, we, can we get a follow on our page, oh, on our no, individual Wes. page? Let us get, get, let's get some follows from Heather Dent. Uh, okay, yeah, we're, we're out here begging for followers. Thank you. <laughs> no, Mr. Heather's Wes. lit. She's lit. What you mean? You're good. All right, so, you know what uh, my Twitter feed is lit with? Angry Michigan fans. That's what I'm saying. Sure it is. All right, so I will ask you first about Clemson. What have you seen is the difference between the Clemsons who were in the college football playoffs competing for championships and the Clemson mm -hmm. that we saw this year? No Trevor Lawrence, no Deshaun Watson. I mean, to me, that's the difference because you have a defense that at times has shown flashes of the defense that is championship caliber elite level, right? In the committee meeting room, specifically, I asked Selection Committee Chair Boo Corrigan, what is it you guys want to see from Clemson? And the one thing he singled out was inconsistent quarterback play from DJ Uyunglele. And and I think anybody who's watched Clemson, whether you're a fan or not, is like, what's Dabo's love affair <laughs> with his quarterback? I mean, there was one game. I think it was it Syracuse where he benched DJ. I think it was Syracuse, Syracuse or NC State. It was the... It was Sy well, Syracuse when Kate Klubnick came Yes, it was Syracuse. Yeah. Yes, it was. So it was Syracuse. So you saw that moment when Dabo made the switch, and you're like, he did it. That was a brilliant coaching move because he did what he needed to do at the right time to win. But we haven't seen it since. And DJ's just kind of been up and down. And then you see this week, Dabo makes a statement. DJ's his guy for the conference championship game. And, you know, I heard it, and I saw it, and I'm, my reaction to it was... You know, if I'm Dabo, I'd probably do the same thing because we're at this point in the season. That's your guy. Finish it out, right? If you were going to make the switch, you make it after the Syracuse game, I think, because you then you have time to usher in that new quarterback with the learning curve and all those things that come with it. Now it's, it's kind of past that point, so I totally understand, and I respect the decision there. But to me, that's that's the difference with Clemson is that you don't have a – I mean, forget number one draft pick at quarterback. You don't have a Heisman contender. And when you look around the country um, at some of these teams that are in the conversation, you can throw Max Duggan in there from TCU. Certainly Caleb Williams is at the top of the list and probably already won the darn thing already. Um, J.J. McCarthy at the game of his life from Michigan when it meant the most. You just go down the list, Bryce Young has Alabama in it. You know, Those are the teams that have the star quarterbacks. And then I'll ask you, too, about – TCU pivoting to them. Now, we've seen like when Cincinnati or when Washington was in there or when Michigan State, these teams that make these improbable runs that are the teams that weren't preseason college football playoff darlings that we thought would be there. Is TCU a team that's just kind of lambs waiting to be uh, taken out? Because, you know, when I look at them, I think they're a good team, but I just feel like they're another one of those teams on the improbable run that will go to the playoffs and uh, get squashed, so to speak, <laughs> by one of the bigger teams. Do you feel that way about them, or what's your assessment of TCU? Well, that is, that's the national perception of TCU, and we don't know the answer to that question, to be fair, until they do line up against a Georgia or an Ohio State or whoever it might be. But if anyone has watched TCU closely this year, the defense has played better as the season has gone on. They've earned the type of comeback kids 
you know, nickname because of their ability to come back in the second half and find ways to win these games. I mean, TCU, if you look at some of these games, is a team that the football gods have just been watching over all season. Because you're right, everybody's sitting there watching mm-hmm. TCU. Not to, not to look at TCU as a good football team, but to see, is this the week they lose? <laughs> and it just hasn't happened yet, which is why I bring up that K-State game. And my colleague, Sam Acho, brought up a great point this week. He was like, I got to go back and watch the K-State game, and I agree with him. I need to go back and take a closer look to see how that game unfolded the first time they played. But look, they have a great quarterback. They can run the ball really well. If they can play championship-caliber defense, I think they can match up with maybe Ohio State or USC. Georgia's defense is what has separated it from everybody else. Heather Denich of ESPN joining us on the Wes and Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. You know, Heather, I was looking at Clemson coming in at eight after the one loss that they had suffered to Notre Dame, and it felt like the ACC was still getting some form of respect from the college football playoff committee. You know, now it's going to be hard for anybody, right? Clemson, they're done with that loss. North Carolina, it was done with any outside shot that they had after they lost to Georgia Tech. How much respect do you think the ACC got this year for majority of the season from the committee? You know, for a majority of the season, they were hanging on. I think it's fair to say that they were still in the worst shape of all the Power Five conferences. But if Clemson would not have lost that game, I wouldn't be talking about Alabama. Because you would have a one-loss ACC champion to help fill in that slot if TCU or USC loses. Um, You know, everything that happened over the last two weeks changed that top four picture drastically. I mean, you know, Alabama is sitting there with two losses and not even a division title, but it's two upsets away. You know, so back to your question about the ACC, they had a shot at this thing. If they would have obviously beaten South Carolina and then won convincingly against UNC and had some help, all the stars had to align. But it wasn't a completely lost cause. I mean, the problem, though, is that there are so many other teams in the ACC that fell off this year. I mean, we were talking so much about Wake Forest and Syracuse and NC State and the first half, three quarters even of the college football season was great for the ACC. But now, you're looking at Florida State, which has been solid and the real deal um, as Clemson's best win and as one of the better teams in that league. And Heather, I was going to ask you continue on with what you were saying about Florida State. Uh, was their resume enhanced as far as their ascension in the rankings by that win over LSU? And then going forward, do you see this program as a program that's getting closer to being a a college football playoff contender type of program again? Yes, especially if Clemson continues to wobble. I mean, this is a balance of power shift. It certainly could be. Um, But the other thing, too, is I can't tell you how many people at ESPN and just around college football who pay close attention to some of these things have told me how good Kate is at Clemson. 
<laughs> I mean, there there are people who have just come. I remember at the sideline of the Notre Dame-Ohio State game, somebody came up to me and was telling me a story about how good he is. And so if that is waiting in the wings and is as good as advertised, look out, because Dabo can certainly put all those pieces together. But when you have everybody else in that league kind of wishy-washy, it's up for grabs. So there's no reason, no reason in my mind, that Florida State can't get back to the top in that league. Last question before we get you out of here, Heather. I feel like throughout the season, there's usually so much drama compared when we talk about the rankings and we're all angry at the committee for whatever reason. I don't feel like we got that a lot this year. You've been covering the playoff committee for a while. What did you make of the drama and or do you agree with the lack thereof surrounding the rankings that would come out every week this year compared to years past? Yeah, I don't, I don't feel like the anger index was real high yeah. <laughs> amongst amongst the fan. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's sort of it always has a way of playing itself out on the field, right? But still, there are so many possibilities that can happen with championship weekend still looming, and the possibility of these upsets. So, like, it's either going to be really easy for the selection committee, or we could have a handful of controversy. And imagine this, guys. If you remember in 2014, the first year of the college football playoff, TCU was at number three, and they dropped to number six because the Big 12 didn't have a conference championship game at that point. Can you imagine if TCU is number three tomorrow night and they fall out again because of the conference championship game? I mean, I don't TCU fans are just going to go bananas if that happens. There's the chaos we wanted from the rankings. That is exactly how that would happen. That is the great Heather Denich joining us on the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Make sure you follow her on Twitter at CFB Heather. Heather, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the games this weekend. Absolutely. You do the same. That is Heather Denich talking about the college football playoff rankings, what they could come in with um, after they are all revealed. What do you think about what Heather had to say about the top four, where Georgia, Michigan, I do feel like those are clearly the top two teams in the country right now mm-hmm. with the huge win that Michigan had over over Ohio State and with the way that Georgia has just been able to move on with the most part without too many problems. They were down early in this game against Georgia Tech. We know about the Mizzou problems they had at the beginning of the season, but, but we know Georgia is still a very talented football squad. Does it feel like those two are the top for you above everybody else? And who would you put number one right now in the country, West? I think Georgia should be up there because they earned it. They're the defending champions. They are unblemished, and I think they should be number one until that's taken from them. Michigan had the most impressive win that we've seen uh, this season, in my opinion, as far as the way they went into the horseshoe, place very difficult to win, and got their second consecutive win over Ohio State. And then I would go with TCU, and then I would go with USC. Um, but this weekend, I mean, I've seen some crazy championship weekends over the years. This weekend should be one of those as well. That USC-Utah is certainly going to be one to watch. Uh, TCU is going to be one to watch. So it's going to be tremendous. And then the fact that Alabama is sitting there in the wings. Doesn't that make you just want Bleh. I mean, the fact that the <laughs> ACC allowed there to be a shot for oh, Alabama, right? Because goodness. Clemson did lose. And now there is a shot where, I mean, there was always a possibility that the Crimson Tide could be waiting there. But the fact that everything that needed to happen did, basically, 
for Alabama. That's to Alabama's have that luck. Shot. I said they're one of those horseshoe teams. They always have things that go in. Uh, real quickly, I never get too mad about the committee and their favoritism towards Alabama just because I can't ever say that they're not that much of a top four team. Oh, I mean, that's the thing. Alabama's People get so that. mad about the committee finding a way to put Alabama there. Well, okay, if Clemson would have won, then we're not talking about Alabama just like Heather said. But they didn't. And the fact is, Alabama lost a tight one with two plays. Now, granted, the defense should have done what they should have against Hendon Hooker. Fair enough. But they lost by the ugliest field goal I've ever seen. They also, against LSU, lost, what was it, double overtime or overtime? It went to extras, whatever. Right. And so the fact is it could have easily gone the other way, which is exactly what people would have been arguing had Alabama won those games. But now they're using it against the Crimson Tide. I just can never get that mad. If Clemson would have won, they need to be out. And they still probably should be out as it stands right now, as long as everything is taken care of. But there's a shot for them. And I can't legitimately make a good argument as to why they should be completely away from the top four here. That's just how it is. They're a good football team, and they're getting some more favoritism because they've established themselves as a very good team, and they've even done so this year, just not like maybe other years in recent memory. Let's go to the last fitty flash of the day. Josh, what you got for us, man? Well, guys, with the regular season coming to an end, that means portaling is now in full-blown effect. And Michigan quarterback Cade McNamara, the guy who started the first, I think, game or two for Michigan, he has officially entered the portal. I would imagine that new Charlotte football head coach Biff Pogey would be really involved in maybe getting him to Charlotte uh, as he tries to revitalize that program. And on the NFL side of things, we knew this day was coming, but it is now official. The Browns have activated... Deshaun Watson back to their 53-man roster. They cut Josh Dobbs uh, from their active 53-man roster. And after the Browns win yesterday over the Bucks in overtime, the Browns still have faint playoff hopes out there in that AFC. And that's going to be a storyline, I think, for us to monitor starting this weekend when he goes home to face his former team, the Houston Texans. Deshaun Watson and Jacoby Brissett, it's going to be – a fascinating quarterback battle, so to speak, because we all know Deshaun is going to be the guy going forward. But Jacoby has not been bad this year. I'm surprised. It's not somebody that I believe in, but Jacoby has absolutely not been a bad QB this entire season. In fact, if you go to the loss against Buffalo, he threw for 320 yards and three touchdowns with zero interceptions. He did have the interception yesterday, but they end up beating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's really been the defense that has been the problem for Cleveland for majority of this season. So do you bring in Deshaun right now as soon as he's activated? The money would suggest that you do, but Jacoby has not been bad, not been the problem. And if there's any rust with Deshaun whatsoever while Jacoby is kind of humming right now doing a pretty decent job yeah it'll be interesting to see where Cleveland ends up yeah I mean he's humming to the tune of four and seven so he might be playing good but they're going to get Deshaun in there the season is out of the balance for them there's no way they're going to win their division so you want to get Deshaun in there get him back acclimated to playing football again um, you know, whether or not he should be playing football, that's a totally different story. But this as far as what Cleveland will do. Yeah, I mean, Jacoby's done well, but we know that he's a career backup. Cleveland season's going nowhere, so you're going to have to go with your guy at this point. All right, we have one more segment to go on the Weston Walker Show. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.
segment to go. Wrapping up here, Wesson Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We're about to hand it off to Kyle Bailey. Going to be with you from 3 p.m. until 6 p.m. Of course, he is alongside Smoke Ludwig. Well, let's go to What's on Tap. What's on Tap is brought to you by Twin Peaks. You can join our e-club to stay up to date on all things Twin Peaks and score free stuff. Visit TwinPeaksRestaurant.com slash Peaks-Club. The Hornets will take on the Boston Celtics tonight. Going to be on the road. They've won two in a row. Do you think they can make it a winning streak against this pretty good Eastern Conference Boston Celtics team, Wes? This is a perfect Queen City Magic game. But if they were at home, I would say the Hornets. I would almost pick them. I would probably pick them to win if they were at home just because it just makes too much nonsense. But... Uh, on the road, though, I think they get handled pretty easily tonight. Yeah, Boston is a good basketball team. Very good. I thought that they would lose to Minnesota, to be honest with you. Um, but it was a great win for Charlotte. I mean, yes. it really was. Given everything that's happened with the Hornets, given the injuries they're still still dealing with, Kai Jones, Kelly Oubre was big in this one. Terry Rozier actually struggled but did hit a pretty important shot late in this game. Teo maladon has been fantastic for them on a two-way contract. So really good win for Charlotte against Minnesota. Minnesota did not see that coming. Boston is 16 and four on the season. They are a powerhouse right now. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, doesn't matter. One of those guys is going to be on the court and they're both going to lead a really tough charge for Charlotte to deal with. So that is who the Charlotte Hornets will be playing tonight. And that is what's on tap. Speaking of the Charlotte Hornets, I did want to send regards to the Valancourt family. As you know, I'm sure Mac and Bone talked about it earlier today. Jerry V, legend that is, and an institution in Charlotte Sports Radio, really just Charlotte Radio. Jerry V did die over the weekend, and he passed due to a heart condition that he was diagnosed with about 25 years ago. His daughter, Kelly Valancourt, did say that they were thrilled to even get 25 years after the initial diagnosis. And I know Jerry V lived a long happy life a very rich life did jerry v live and look i'll tell you i got to know jerry v when he came back after going to new orleans it would have been at the same time the charlotte hornets went down to new orleans once they left the city jerry v went with them because he was a hornets broadcaster he was here on wfnz wbt it was interesting to see the twitter reception for jerry v's passing so many people shared their memories of when something big happened in charlotte sports they would make sure they tuned in to wherever Jerry V was because they wanted to hear what he had to say on the subject, on the Charlotte Hornets victory. I saw, I think, Ryan, who is someone that I think a lot of people might be followed by in Charlotte sports media. He talked about um, the Sean Gilbert acquisition, and he said, okay, I got to hear what Jerry V is talking about. That was the thing you did if you were listening to Charlotte Sports Radio or Charlotte Radio back in the day. And I got the chance to work with him when he was working at ESPN 730. So I worked with him probably, I don't know, five, six, seven times as a producer slash co-host. Jerry V was nothing but good to me. During the breaks, he would ask what my goals were, how to reach them. He would give me advice on how to reach them. And man... Out of the couple of years that he worked with that station, he might have messed up like five times. That guy was crazy talented at solo radio. And one thing a lot of radio hosts will tell you, the number one thing you can't be in radio is boring. If you didn't agree with Jerry V, cool. You might not have. There was times I didn't agree with Jerry V and some of the content that he was talking about. If you didn't like his style, okay. But man, he was never boring. 
Not one second of his radio life was he ever boring. And that guy was as skilled at solo radio, bringing the caffeine, bringing all of the opinions. It was really impressive to watch producing. He would stare off into the distance. We had a window and it was on Moorhead and we were looking out at the city and he would just spew, switch up his cadence. If, if you are a broadcasting connoisseur, it was amazing. It really was. I'm not saying this lightly about Jerry V. Solo radio, he was amazing at. And if you look at what he was able to do with his TV broadcasting career, also very good, whether it's news talk, sports talk, was really proud of the work he did when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans. And he would always discuss how he was a voice for the people coming together at a time when you needed togetherness the most in the city of New Orleans when Hurricane Katrina hit. To have him come back, to be able to get advice from him, to get the love, and to be as welcoming as he was, it meant a lot to me. So RIP to a Charlotte legend. And I know you guys had your experiences with Jerry V as well as soon as he came back to the Charlotte area. Yeah, for one, hearing everyone talk about him, I had no idea the imprint that he had on the city and all the things that he did. That was great. I remember I was on his show a couple of times as a guest, and he was great, as you said, always entertaining. I enjoyed uh, being on his show, thought he was very knowledgeable, all the things that you said, but just everything that he did in this city, uh, you know, and I do my homework on a lot of things, and I was just surprised hearing all of the different things that he had done in this town. So as you said, RIP to him, uh, a legend is lost for sure. Um, so, yeah. Fiddy, I know you enjoyed listening to him quite a bit on the Mac and Bone show because his weekly hits were amazing. They were they were hilarious, too. Like, the dude would clown with the best of them, and I know you enjoyed listening to him. Yeah, he was he was a guy. There was not a more kindful, sweeter soul that ever came on our airwaves. He actually came in over the summer and hosted a couple shows and was just the nicest guy he could be. And even at his age, he was getting up at 4.30 in the morning to come do four hours of radio. Ooh. And he was kicking ass like he, he had done his entire life. And, you know, you and I, we're, we're basketball junkies. And he's a guy that, you know, w w through his affiliation with the Hornets, loved basketball. And he had the he coined the phrase that, 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 that even I, I've kind of taken on as a basketball lover. And it's, if you love the game, it'll love you back. And even though I didn't love the game this weekend, I know he loved the game, and he'll be looking down from above still loving basketball and all the beautiful things that game does represent. Oh, man, digging deep into basketball history with him was a lot of fun because he would talk about his coaching days, his recruiting visits, his time at Davidson, discussing his relationship with Bob McKillop. There were so many different things that he would share, even talking about some recruiting trips to Indiana, where I would kind of speak to because my family is from Indianapolis as well he had stories all across the board and i don't know if there were too many people that were better at telling stories on the radio than he was also shout out to joe the fan who longtime listener of charlotte sports radio you know he certainly lost somebody that became a friend instead of just a host to him and of course the valencourt family everybody that knew jerry v personally and well uh condolences thoughts prayers all that good stuff to everybody that was affected by the loss of one Jerry V. Let's go to now this day in sports history before we wrap things up and then hand it off to Kyle Bailey on the Kyle Bailey Show. Fiddy, what you got? All right, guys. On this day in 1981, Paul Bear Bryant became the winningest, winningest coach in college football history. When Alabama beat Auburn 28-17 in the Iron Bowl, it gave him his 315th career victory, a, a surpassing Amos Alonzo's stag for the most wins of all time. This isn't a fun one for Hornets fans. On this day in 1992, 
Known playoff choker Reggie Miller exploded for 57 <laughs> points to set an Indiana team record How as the Pacers defeated the Hornets Goodness 134 gracious. to 122. And on this day just a year ago, in a move that would start the craziest coaching carousel in modern college football day history, uh, Oklahoma head coach Lincoln Riley left Norman to become the head coach at USC, where he now has them on the cusp of the playoff berth, and he signed a deal worth $110 million. All right. Final take for everybody around the room. Wes, do you have a final take to send us off with on this Monday? Uh, I'd just say RIP to the legend, uh, Jerry Valancourt. All right, there you go. Fitted, you have a final take as well. Yeah, I guess I'll tip my cap to all the NC State fans <laughs> out there. Congratulations, you won a game, and you still failed to make an ACC championship game appearance, even though you were preseason ranked in the top 15. Get back on your tractors and get back to living your miserable lives. Okay, there you go. Uh -huh. a, a very nice farewell from Fitty. My farewell is to go check us out on Twitter. Wes is telling you to go do it on Twitter. That's at right. Wes and Walker. You can go find all of our content, some of the segments that we had, an awesome conversation with Heather Dinich talking about the college football playoff rankings, who she would have as her top four, the respect level for the ACC. If you missed that, you can go check that out again on our podcast feed. That'll do it. Keep it right here for the Kyle Bailey Show. Smoke Ludwig, uh, Smoke Ludwig also going to be joining you on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.